we got the we got the win. That's all I care about. <laughs> the last two we didn't win, so um, feels good to win. I'm gonna do whatever it takes to win. Win football games, like I said, I'll throw it zero or a hundred times. I'll throw for seven yards or five hundred. Doesn't matter to me. We won. I could care less about you know a triple double. Um, we play this game to win. I'm, I'm glad my teammates got a lot of trust and faith in me to go out there and uh, hoop like that. But like I always said, if you guarantee me a win, I could care less. Yeah, as we were talking about recently, I'm, I'm, I'm just so excited, man, for our players. I'm excited for this organization and really looking forward to the challenge of uh, building upon a, a, a positive step. All right, go ahead. Get it out of the way. Carson Wentz, baby. Whatever you want to say, get it out of the way. How about it? Wow. <laughs> go ahead. There's more than two words. More than just Carson Wentz you want to say. How about it? No, I mean, he was he was he was good, Scotty. Give him some credit. Come on. Give him a little credit. Well, of course he was good. Yeah. I I've got I've got bigger fish to fry than that when it comes to that 49ers game. I've got a bigger, bolder topic, Ziggy, that was jumping into my head repeatedly as I watched that game last night. And I look, I don't make this show about the 49ers because not enough people care, and that would be extremely selfish. Oh no, me. they do. We care when they lose. Oh. We care when they lose. Yeah. Yeah, we we can talk about the 49ers <laughs> all day on a day like today. Do you, do you think the backup quarterback reminded everybody why he's a backup? And whatever was being talked about out there in the Bay Area, oh, could Nick Mullins take over for Jimmy Garoppolo? Guess the answer to that question was solidified last night as a big, fat no. But I was thinking, are there examples doesn't matter the sport. Are there examples of situations where you have a favorite team? And you can text us to 590-590 if you've got your own. Where you have a, a favorite team that ha has, usually it's injury related, has been so riddled by injury that you you look at what they are in the aftermath of of all the injuries and you say, it's a sunk season. It's sunk already. Now, it isn't that the 49ers will automatically miss the playoffs. They've got enough good players if they get some of their injured guys back that they could somehow, some way sneak in. But with no Nick Bosa, who is inarguably a top five player in the NFL, one of the best defensive linemen in the NFL and probably a top five player in the NFL, with their top two running backs hurt, with their top two corner, C-O-R-N-E-R, cornerbacks hurt, with Jimmy Garoppolo, their quarterback, still out last night, although he'll be back, with all of these guys hurt, you look at it and you say, I, I mean, I, I, I hope they win, but I'm not going into the game feeling 100% confident like I, like I usually would. Nick Bosa going down for the 49ers would be like Austin Matthews. And it, the, the sports are 
incomparable. I understand that. But it would be the equivalent of one of the Leafs' top four, one of their key guys going down. And if Austin Matthews blew a wheel in November in a normal season, you wouldn't feel nearly as confident about the Maple Leafs the rest of the way. You can't argue that. And I think that that's where the 49ers are right now. Nick Mullins, he struggled. That is a... I know that's an understatement, but yeah. I mean, it's... It's tough for him coming in this situation. But yeah, there's, I mean, there's bright spots there for your team. You get, you know, Kittle. How about what he did? Would he tie an all time 15 for 15 record with McCaffrey from last year? So, I mean, he had a huge game. He's going to have to be even bigger. No, I don't know what else he can do, though. Yeah. Well, he's got to have the quarterback. Yeah. Get him the ball. And, you know, I was watching in the first half last night, they had that great drive, that Brandon Ayuk leapfrog. For the oh touchdown. my goodness! Is the, we're seeing more. Are we not seeing more and more of that every year? You guys are fantastic athletes. I mean, I. I oh yeah! What a move! I oh my goodness! I can't get over that. I would have pulled a, a left groin muscle with the left leg over than the right, and it's like, oh my goodness! Reminded me of, of hurdle of hurdling in high school where it was like groin and hammy. Couldn't even walk for a week. Oh, after. Hold on a second. You were a, you were a hurdler <laughs> in high school. <laughs> Were you? No, but that's how we would we would warm up and train with the hurdles on the track a lot. That was like one of the big things we would use is the hurdles. And sometimes in between sets, we would run the hurdles. And yeah, how, did, how did that how did that go for you? It, it wasn't good. I'm I'm not kidding. Like when you see people hurdling, and when you see moves like that yesterday, and you were seeing all these players in the NFL now hopping over defenders, it's it brings back bad memories. But yeah, it's uh, that was awesome yesterday. <laughs> seeing that. Well, you're really pleased. Are you gonna get in Hugh Burrell's ear? I mean, you love to make fun of me when things don't go well for the Niners. Your your hashtag Ravens flock beat the uh, Washington football team. Yeah, so you actually have a fan. I didn't want to rub it. I didn't want to rub it in too much into Hugh because I know his team's not that great this year. So, I mean, what can you do? The Ravens were on. Fire, well, and that's the response you need after last week. You're worried that what happened last week against the Chiefs would linger, but not for this team. Not for big N- trust. Not not for your elite group. <laughs> you're you're worried that it would linger against the Washington football. No, but you never know. You have a bad game like that. They did against the Chiefs. I mean, the Chiefs were good. Um, Mahomes was good a week ago, but. Sometimes you play those games. It's it's tough to get back on on track. It's like making a bogey in golf. You just keep making. You get on a bogey train, and you don't want that. Um, and they look good. They look good. I mean, it's 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 Washington. Uh, no offense to Hugh, but they're just they're not good. Although a, they they are they are playing for team. something. They are they are playing for something because the NFC East is terrible. Which brings us to Dallas. And now you talk you talk oh, about getting on a bogey boy. train. You get tied. Talk about getting on a bogey train. <laughs> if you're Dak Prescott right now and you're that Dallas Cowboys offense, you're looking across the locker room at that defense. You're one and three. You got a brand new head coach there in, in Mike McCarthy. You, I mean, they almost completed the comeback yesterday like they did against Atlanta. They got within three points, Ziggy. 
They got within three points, and then they watched their defense crumble. Odell Beckham Jr. got to the outside and scampered home on that on that handoff. A creative play by Cleveland to, to, to ice the game. But the Dallas Cowboys, that that's the sort of thing. You've got to stick together as a group. You've got to stick together as a team. But how, if you are an offensive player, especially a skill position offensive player, Dak Prescott's the guy coming to mind most with the numbers he's been putting up. If you are an offensive player on that Dallas Cowboys team, it has got to be hard to want to stick together in that room because you're not necessarily pointing fingers publicly, certainly not. Privately, I don't know what kind of words are being said in that locker room, but you're driving home after a game like that yesterday, MFing the world. What is wrong with this team? I see people going from, it's so divided though. I'm hearing like a Dak Prescott is not a top tier quarterback. Then you're hearing they're giving up 45 uh, points a game. It's the defense. That's terrible. Then they want, uh, they're saying the coaching change did nothing from this year. Now they're saying it's Jerry Jones still. It's oh, the factor is always Jerry Jones. Look what's happening. The coaching of coaches have changed. The players have changed. The quarterbacks have changed, and it's the same team. I feel like it's a little bit of everything. It's not just one people are blaming. Well, they changed the That's defensive coordinator. Uh, Rob Marinelli is yeah. out of there, and and Mike Nolan is in. They just they can't get stops. They've got a couple of key injuries. Sean Lee, who is a great linebacker just has not been able to stay healthy through his career. He's out. Vander Esch is out. So they've suffered some attrition. Uh, they could still win that division, though, Zig. They, they could be an under 500 yeah, it's team. Still, still available. They could be 7-9 and nine at the end of the year. They could be, uh, I mean, you imagine this. It could be 6-10. and 10. That's probably not. I'm stretching it at that point. I don't think there's ever been a 6-10 and 10 division winner. But- but you just have plays like Amari Cooper is like giving up on plays that on that interception. Like what is going on? It's like I don't get it. Well, the, once the frustration starts to to see here's in. The, here's the thing, Dax. What's he on pace? I, I saw this stat yesterday. Dax on pace for sixty seven hundred yards this season. He threw for five hundred and two yards yesterday yeah. and four but, touchdowns. This is something I want to, you know, we have Ross Tucker on the show later, as we do every Monday. And I want to ask him, like, do those yards and what you do when you're down big, I feel like the defense, like, does the fence, defense just lay off when you're up big in games? Because Dallas has been down in all these games, and then it's a comeback, right? But we've seen this, right? The defense just, they give up, I don't want to say non-meaningful yards, because the Cowboys actually got back into this one, but does that matter when the offense or when the QB gets his yards? Like, does it well, matter Dallas, that he just gets them at any time? But yeah, but when you're down big and you throw for 300 yards, okay, yeah, you got him in the second yeah, but half. They Your got team is to down with, by 30. But Ziggy, they got to I know, within they got three. Close. They got to I within know. three with three or four minutes left, and you're sitting there saying, get us a stop. Get us a stop. Get mm-hmm. us a stop. We've been steamrolling the Browns. And we're three points away from tying this thing and getting it to overtime. But we're moving the ball so well. I think we can get possession and go down and score yet another touchdown. Get us a stop. And on a mm-hmm. reverse trick 
sort of play to Odell Beckham Jr., that pitch. Oh he gets outside goodness. the edge, and he scampers all the way for 40 to 50 <laughs> yards and a touchdown. <laughs> if I'm Dak Prescott, if, if that I'm was, on that sideline. Th- what a throw by Landry, though. Come on. That's the one you're talking okay, about? Was, no, 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 no. I'm talking about at the end of the game. Oh, okay. The, Are they the talking Odell about Beckham the Junior running they touchdown? They're talking about the the, tr- the trick play, the reverse. Well, that reverse. was that was in the first half. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's a it's a mess. It's an absolute yeah. mess there in Dallas now, and 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 yet the the theme will be their inability to get stops to do anything on the defensive side of the ball. Juxtapose that though with the fact that they're in a very real position here to win their division. I mean, it's going to come down to their games with the Eagles. You got to take care of the Giants and and Washington when you play them. But those two games against the Philadelphia Eagles are are going to determine things. And right now, because the Eagles got a home tie against crappy Cincinnati last week, they are 1-2 and 1, which puts them ahead of 1 and 3 Dallas. And with due respect to our buddy Hugh Burrell, who will be in the studio a little bit later, uh, the one and three Washington football team ultimately, I don't think is going to be a factor here. One more thing on that Cowboys game. Did you see the blocked extra point and then they end up getting the two point conversion? Never. Dallas, Dallas's D is so bad. So my buddy messages me during the game and goes, Hey, Dallas's D is so bad that even when the, Defense block the extra point the other team gets in for two. Uh, yeah. Yeah. They did such a good job blocking <laughs> the extra point what? for one convert that they ended up giving up two. You'll well, never the, see you'll never see that play again. You'll never see that what's, again. But what's the rule? If Dallas doesn't touch the ball, it's dead. So why are you touching the ball? Sorry, am I missing? Like, am no. I missing something? Remember two weeks ago. Remember two weeks ago with the the Falcons situation, the onside kick, and and we wondered if there. And Arthur Blank, the the Falcons owner, said, I, "I'm pretty sure that some of my players out there didn't know the rules." Ziggy, I had yeah. absolutely when when Cleveland fell on that ball in the end zone after the blocked extra point attempt, the kick. Yeah, I wasn't sure. I, I'm sitting there at home. I, I said, I've never seen this. And then I saw the referees huddle and I wondered to myself, is there anything in the NFL's rule book for this particular play? Because I've never seen that before. And I think there have been two point conversions in the NFL for 15, 20 years now, at least used to just be you'd kick and that was it. But there've been two point conversions now for probably 15 or 20 years, somewhere in that neighborhood. I have never seen that play. That play has never even jumped into my mind as a consideration or a possibility for being a real thing. So I didn't know where the referees gathering there to say, so what the hell, what the hell do we do with this? <laughs> I bet you it's not even a bet in Vegas. I bet you couldn't even bet that prop bet. Well, imagine the odds. Extra point for two. Yeah. But I, I don't think, I think it got touched by a Dallas defender outside the end zone. Like, like, which made it a live they, ball. Yeah. Oh my goodness. It's just like head scratching. Like how did this, how does that happen? Well, I mean the, the the drama in Dallas always makes it worth it in an NFL season. Um and and there certainly will be will be more of that. The Bills moved to 4 and 0. 
So this is big now. Um, you know, New England and and we haven't touched on the COVID situation. The Tennessee Titans are in a in a full on outbreak. The New England Patriots are going to Kansas City, I believe, today to play tonight. I, I think they're jump and they're jumping on two planes. I don't know if you saw that. So they, didn't, they, didn't, they didn't go yesterday on two planes? They're going to go the day of? Well, it, it was still up in the air as of yesterday. Um, okay. Maybe they're there. I I, I yeah. don't know. I was reading it's yesterday. Gonna, I was going to say, like, going same day, that must be, that's pretty tough. But they're going on two planes. The players and the coaches, the personnel who had the most direct contact or access to Cam Newton, the infected New England player, mm-hmm. They're on one airplane, and everybody else is on another airplane heading yeah. to Kansas City. So New England is 2-1 and one going to Kansas City tonight in a really weird situation. Bill Belichick, the magic maker, if, if he can piece it together and with, with, with no Cam Newton and somehow pull out a dub in Kansas City tonight, like everybody just bow down. Uh, Belichick is the best, but this, this would just only this. further cement it. But if I'm a Buffalo Bills fan, I'm looking at this going, okay, we're 4-0, and and we're staring down the barrel 12 hours from now of the, or so of the New England Patriots being 2-2. Two and two. Mm-hmm. And you got Miami, who isn't any good, and the New York Jets are dreadful. The, the Buffalo Bills are in the driver's seat in the AFC yeah. East a quarter of the way through the season. I watched a lot of that game um against the Raiders I I I mean Josh Allen it's just like he keeps getting better like that was another step I think for him and I know we keep talking about Josh Allen is he the guy is he one of the top tier QBs in the league and we talked about the Bills taking a step last year but that was a big one for Josh Allen Raiders they they were it was it was a that was a fight yesterday. That was a good game for Allen and and the Bills. I think those are the those are the kind of games you need to prepare yourself for the postseason. Just tough games. You're in there. Um, I thought their D played well. Stopped the run game. They looked look they t- tough to play against. I I think the the Raiders came out to play. It wasn't that they were bad, but this Buffalo Bills team they just they keep finding different ways. For Allen, it's just. I feel like he went downfield a lot more often in yesterday's game. And obviously he has the options now. He's got the players to play with. Um and yeah, that's a that's it's just how nice is it with a clean record when you start your season? Yeah. Yeah. Just going in four and oh, just it it you you feel good going playing the rest of the year out when you get that hot start. Um, Stephon Diggs with another 100 plus. Yeah, Stephon Diggs. Another 100 yards plus receiving. So he's awesome. I mean, his patterns, the way he gets in the open, he always knows where the ball is. Every time it's in the air, he always knows. How many times we see receivers? They're going. They're running downfield. Yeah, they're good patterns. They're fast. They do a good job getting the open, but they never know where the ball is. With with Diggs, he always knows where it is. It's crazy. We had a big week with the Leafs, Zig, and the NHL. Yeah. The draft mm-hmm. starts tomorrow night, 7 o'clock Eastern time on Sportsnet. It'll be a two-day uh, deal as it always is. And then Friday, 
free agency starts. And the Monday morning leadoff troll poll, which we'll put up on Twitter at Scotty Mac, thanks at Mike Zigamatis and at Hugh W. Burl, which Maple Leaf is least likely to be on the roster next season? Which Maple Leaf star is least likely to be on the roster at the start of next season? Frederick Anderson, William Nylander, Mitch Marner, or option number four will be other. And then you can write in your response and you can text in your response. Well, I think this I think this I think this troll poll is it's pretty obvious to me if you have to pick a live human body who's not named other, I think the goalie is gonna get the majority of the votes here. I or are you going are you gonna go Nylander? No, what are you going? I'm you go first and then I'll go. I'm, well, you, I'm, uh, no, no, no. I I out of these options out of these options, I'm gonna say it's Frederick Anderson. Because Tyson Berry's not in this thing. Cody Cece's not a star. He's not on this thing. If they're going to make a move, they're going to make a move at the goaltending spot. I don't see William Nylander or Mitch Marner coming off the roster this soon. I think it would be a pivot and an admission that the construct, the construction of the roster was flawed once the contracts for the big four got out of hand. From this poll, yes. I would say Freddie Anderson, if I had to choose one of those names, would be moved. I just don't know what other better options are out there for the Leafs. I know we asked Elliot Friedman last week about a Rask for Anderson, one for one, but... The dollars just don't work for the Leafs, right? That's an extra two plus million a year the next year for Rask. I'm not so sure Boston wants Anderson either. That's that's my okay, but I'm that, not I'm not talking about a Rask for so, Anderson straight up. And you're I'm starting saying, to see and you're starting to see the numbers, right? Robin Leonard five and five. From, yeah, I mean from what, Vegas. What, I mean, what are you thinking then? Tristan when you see, Tristan when you Jari see him gets get a three five year. When you see him Leonard getting five million a year, what do you think Anderson's worth then? On an extension. More? Less? Well, but what do you think Leonard is? I think Leonard is one of the best goaltenders in the league. There you go. Okay, so I, I didn't know where you were going with the question. because no, Mark, uh, okay, you know, no, no, but, but Marc-Andre yeah. Fleury is still there for now. He's making seven-ish. Seven yeah. So so they are signing Leonard 5-25 and 25 to be their starting goaltender perhaps as soon as this year, but beyond the Marc-Andre Fleury contract mm -hmm. Freddie's coming up on the end of a five and 25 contract Tristan Jari signs a three-year extension so that puts Matt Murray into question I'm sitting here going if I'm and it I know we're honing in on the goaltending right now if I'm Tyson Berry what what am I looking at I'm not a kid anymore I'm I'm hitting free agency out of a season that was influenced and affected by a pandemic. I clearly am not a top pairing defenseman on a winning national hockey league team. I'm just not. 
what team out there is going to give somebody like a Tyson Berry significant term at seven or eight million dollars? Because there's only there's only so many seven a year, eight a year million dollar contracts a team can hand out to anybody. How does Tyson Berry get that from a team that's either up against the cap or facing some kind of budgetary crunch related to loss of revenue in the pandemic? I think salaries, and I know we're bouncing around with goaltenders and Tyson Berry. I, I will be fascinated outside of Alex Petrangelo to see what kind of number some of these players get. Tyson Berry's not, I think he's on a huge discount this year. I, I don't think it's going to be long-term. I, if I was a free agent and I didn't, I wasn't going to get the money I wanted or close to it in a place that I wanted to play, you go short-term deal. You do a one-year, two-year deal. You hope this pandemic, everything gets back to normal within a year. You play it out. You have a better season. And then you sign your deal. So I think Tyson Berry is going to be, I, I see him on a, if, if I was him and I had last year and the pandemic and everything, I would sign a one-year deal or two-year deal. He's going to sign for what? 5 million a year on Try a one-year deal. Some of that value. Yeah. And you, and you sit and wait. I, I'm, I'm a huge Tyson. I'm a huge Barry fan though. I thought that trade for him was awesome. It just didn't work out. There's no other way to put it. Right. Don't yeah, come here and say yeah, that was a brutal trade. We're not back no, to relitigate that. I feel like it, I feel like it keeps going there. Whenever you talk about people, keep going back to that. To that. Whenever I chat about Tyson Berry, where is he going to go? We. I keep hearing about that. I'll never stop hearing about the Kadri Berry trade. I'll never stop hearing about it. I just. Well, I, yeah, I, I think. Should, I think. Yeah. I just. I think he should sign a, a short-term deal. And I think a team's going to get him on. Uh, I think he's going to be the best value for free agent defenseman. I think it's going to be a steal, whatever they get him for, because he's not going to knock it out of the park. Stephen Brunn will join us at the uh, top of the seven o'clock hour, and we'll get into the economics of the NHL and how that may affect uh, some free agents. And again, uh, goaltender contracts, Robin Leonard locking in. He's taken five a year. Per year over the next five years, five and twenty-five to stay in Las Vegas. He's happy, he's settled, and he's got a sense of the market. Does that tell us and instruct us on anything that may be coming up here once free agency starts in a few days? Scott Oakman is the executive director and the COO of the Greater Toronto Hockey League. The GTHL has shut things down until at least the flip of the calendar to 2021. What does that mean for your child if you've got a player, a young player in the GTHL? Scott Oakman at 7.30. Ross Tucker for his weekly hit on the NFL at the top of the 8 o'clock hour. John Paul Morosi on the MLB playoffs. And a final thought from him on the Blue Jays season that was. Hugh Burrell is here. And we will burl the lead with Hugh next. Well, we'll attempt to give away $100 in Nantucket gift cards a little bit later on in the hour when we play All or Nothing. Stephen Brunn at the top of the hour, the leadoff Monday troll poll. Oh, we're right back into it. 
the draft and free agency in the NHL this week. Which Maple Leafs star player is least likely to be on the roster next season? Is it Freddie Anderson, William Nylander, Mitch Marner? Or write in your vote if your answer is other. At Scotty Mac thinks mm. at Mike Sigmanis at UW Burl at Fan 590. Freddie with an early lead, as I expected. It's not a lead you want, though. No, it's not a lead you want. No. Uh, he'll still get paid, though. Oh, yeah. Wherever he is. Uh, speaking of uh, still getting paid, wherever he is. <laughs> through two vinyl barriers this morning. Yeah, you're all the way over there today. I'm all the way over there. I can barely Are see you in my seat? these shower curtains. I'm in your seat, Ziggy. I'm well, in your well, seat. well, you got seat? some big shoes to fill today. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I've, um, let's just say I walked in this morning and the furniture had been somewhat rearranged. Yeah. Ooh. Oh, yeah. Technical difficulties. Yeah, let's just... Uh, we'll leave it there. Let's no, just we, attack, why don't we dig into that let's one? Let's just attack every neurosis <laughs> I've got. <laughs> Mr. Burl, Burl the lead. All right. Good Monday morning, <laughs> gentlemen. American League Divisional Series begin today in California. A's and Astros, Dodger Stadium, 4 o'clock on Sportsnet. And tonight at 8 in San Diego, the Yankees and Rays go at it. Blake Snell for the Rays, Garrett Cole for New York. Now, Cole is still stinging after being left in the bullpen in Game 7 of the World Series last year when he was a member of the Astros. But he says he'll use that as motivation everybody on this club has you know their own story their own narrative that's got them to this point and you know at the end both of us have to be as motivated as we can be to take this trophy down so anything that you can use to add fuel to that fire um you know for, unfortunately it usually comes in the form of some sort of pain so um you know it's not always easy to swallow at the time but hopefully it can be useful uh, down the line uh this is a juicy series they don't like each other the rays and yankees at all. No, they don't. Although I would imagine that that business of throwing at people and whatnot gets shelved. Everybody thinks, well, not everybody, but the people we talk to think the Tampa Bay Rays are destined for really good things in these playoffs. This is the toughest series. I think the winner of this series will beat Houston or Oakland in the American League Championship Series. Do the Yankees have enough starting pitching behind Garrett Cole? Because remember, this is a five-game series being played on five consecutive days. There are no off days. Can they just club their way to victory, though? Well, they could, yeah. but you got to deal with Snell. Yeah. Then you got to deal with Glass now. Then you got to deal with Yarbrough. And on and on, Charlie Morton, on and on it goes with the Tampa Bay Rays. So the question is, can the Rays' stout pitching shut down the Yankees' big bats? Yeah. And if the answer to that question is yes, the Rays will win because I think they can nick away at some of the Yankees' starting pitchers not named Cole. Let's go to basketball. And how about Jimmy Butler? Oh, yeah. Jimmy played pretty good. Yeah, Jim, Jimmy played really good. Went off for 40 points, 11 boards, 13 assists last night. Game three of the NBA Finals as the Miami Heat beat the Lakers 115-104. It's their first win of the series. It's also the first time in 52 finals games that any player has outscored, out-rebounded, and out-assisted LeBron James. Post-game, Butler says, a team effort. You got to empty the tank. 
on every possession, especially playing against um, a great team like the Lakers. But uh, we got a good team, you know. Like I always say, I got the easy job. These guys create so much space for me. I get to shoot it whenever I'm open. I pass it whenever I'm not. Um, I really do have the easy job, but none of us, none of us are ever going to leave anything in the tank. We're going to lay it all out there on the floor. All right, gentlemen, uh, scale of one to ten, how worried are the Lakers after this loss last night? I don't think they're too worried. If you're, if the Heat are going to rely on Jimmy Butler to do that, three more times uh, as great of a player he is. And I love him as a competitor. Um, I, I don't think that's too sustainable. Well, they're hoping but, to have uh Goran Dragic and bam at a bio back. Yeah. But I hoping. mean, that's yeah. very iffy, right? So, I mean, if they're back, that changes everything. But with those two guys out, the series is pretty much over, but yeah, I mean, Jimmy Butler, that performance, um, Last night, 40-point triple-double. He's only the third player to ever do it, Jerry West and LeBron James. Um, the only thing about Jimmy Butler is they actually won. When West and LeBron did it, they they were in losing efforts. So Jimmy Butler is a player. He always has been. The questions around him are, is he the team guy? And I feel like he's changed. Well, I don't know if he's actually changed, but their perception of him has changed when he's got to this Heat team. Yeah, he's, he seems to be just dragging them on, on his back. And uh, well, how about Joel Embiid shouting out Butler? Yeah, in a passive aggressive shot at the 76ers oh. for not bringing Butler back. Of course, shouting oh. him out on social media. Mm-hmm. It's the NBA. Passive aggressive is the way to do it. Uh, game four goes tomorrow night. NFL. Let's begin with Scotty Max beat up San Francisco 49ers. Uh, what was left of them? was playing the Philadelphia Eagles in the Sunday nighter down by just four late in the fourth quarter. Nick Mullins in for the injured Jimmy G. Mullins has a chance to lead his team back, but instead he pumps. It's intercepted. It's intercepted down the four sideline and in for an Eagles touchdown. It is Singleton. Alex Singleton interception and the Eagles break it open. All of these guys that you barely know their names making huge contributions. Alex Singleton just walks into the easiest interception he'll ever have in his entire life, but he knows what to do with it. He sprints to the end zone for the touchdown. It did look pretty easy. By the way, former Calgary Stampeder Alex Singleton with a pick six dagger. Eagles win it 25-20 to uh, Improve to 1-2-1 and and take over first place in the NFC East. That's because the rest of the division sucks. Well, quickly on Nick Mullins, free agent at the end of the year, and there were some people saying maybe he could be a starter for a team. That's the sort of performance in prime time that costs you money and puts to bed any conversation that you are a starting quarterback in the NFL. Yeah, I was pretty pretty dismal. Um yeah, Washington. Speaking of dismal, Washington lost to Baltimore, thirty-one seventeen. The Giants lost to the Rams, seventeen nine. Cowboys lost a wild one to the Cleveland Browns. Browns rushed for three hundred seven yards against the Dallas defense. <laughs> they also dug into their bag of tricks. First and ten, they're at the Dallas thirty-seven. Mayfield underneath center, and on first down, a little toss sweep goes to Chubb, and on an end around, they give it to Landry, and he's going to fire down the field into the end zone. Touchdown! Odell Beckham Jr. Yeah, Cleveland won the game. Get this. 
49-38 to improve to 3-1. and one. Dallas is now 1-3. and three. It certainly is not Dak Prescott's fault. The Cowboys quarterback threw for 502 yards and four touchdowns. Prescott leads the NFL in passing yards with 1,609. That's an average of over 400 per game. But he said after he'd give up all those gaudy stats for victories. So is Dak Prescott the best quarterback on a terrible team? Oh, Sean Watson. Yeah, there's a couple of quarterbacks that are on terrible teams. Yeah, Good Watson. Watson would do it for me. I don't. I don't think Dak's that great. Sorry, I have for, to say it. I know a lot of those yards were garbage time yards. Oh, I did. He yeah. threw for 502. They came back. Yeah, they yeah. came. Back. They were within a field goal with plenty of time left. Yeah. So it may have been garbage time because Cleveland takes its foot off the gas yeah. or whatever. It wasn't garbage time at the end of the game. Dallas was back in that game. If if I'm Jerry Jones, I fire everybody on defense. <laughs> it's that well, come on, man. Seriously? You give up three hundred and seven rushing. It could also be that Jerry Nick, Jones is the problem. Nick, wow. Nick Chubb Chubb didn't even play in the second half. Yeah. Yeah. Chubb, I know. Chubb was out. Yeah. Well, and that, that didn't look good either no. for Cleveland. No. So speaking of gaudy stats, how about Russell Wilson of the Seahawks? Two more touchdown passes in Seattle's 31-23 win over Miami, giving him 16 through the first four games of the season. That ties him with Peyton Manning for the most ever through the first four games. He has a ridiculous passer rating of 122.5. And hopefully Russell Wilson will get maybe a vote or two for MVP this year. I'd he, say so. He's never gotten an MVP vote, which to me is just – it's. I'm gobsmacked by that. Let's go back to that uh, Rams-Giants game I was telling you about. The Rams won. But the real story of this game was the ongoing battle between the Giants' Golden Tate and the Rams' Jalen Ramsey. They've got Tate on that release. Yeah, there was. Here's the story. Ramsey is the father of two of Tate's young nieces, but he broke off a long-term relationship with Tate's sister, Brianna, when she was still pregnant last summer. When Ramsey posted to social media a photo with his new girlfriend last October, Tate made it publicly known that he was circling their next head-to-head matchup. And, true to form, there was a punch-up after the game at midfield. So, family drama. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't really know what to say about that. There's other not than, much else to say. Other than it happened. Yeah, that's a thing, and it happened. Uh, Monday night, double header on tap tonight. Packers and Falcons at 8.50. That game pushed back. Uh, Patriots and Chiefs at 7. No Cam Newton for the Patriots because of his positive COVID test. ESPN's Adam Schefter says the positive test, that really puts the Patriots in a tough spot. You spent all week preparing for the defending world champion Chiefs with your quarterback Cam Newton and then have to go to Brian Hoyer with an entirely different game plan, perhaps, against the world champion Chiefs. Not an easy assignment for the New England Patriots as they get ready to take on the Chiefs at 7.05 Eastern on Monday night. Titan Steelers uh, game from Sunday was postponed until later in the year. Schefter says the NFL looking into whether the Titans broke COVID protocols. I don't think the NFL is going to let this slide. The NFL spent mm-hmm. the weekend there. Don't think they're particularly pleased with what they've seen and heard. We'll see what the results of the investigation yield. 
So we're a quarter of the way through the season, Scotty, and already COVID is uh, jumbling up the schedule. Yeah, I think there'd be some who were surprised it didn't it didn't affect things more significantly sooner. T- Tennessee's in a lot of trouble here. Yeah. And I, I don't know what the NFL is going to do with them, but I'm not talking about that. Their game next weekend, Hugh, is in question. Yeah. And then you have the wider issue, which is how many of those sick players are going to heal and play but not feel like themselves yeah. And what kind of effect is that going to have on some of the results of the games to come, which could affect the playoffs? If you get to play a compromised Tennessee team twice in the AFC South, that can be a big deal. And it's not like in baseball where you can just, you know, maybe play a makeup game on an off day. You only have 16 games in the NFL. Imagine a football doubleheader. No, I imagine, can't. Imagine, no. Being in the, imagine being in the eighth quarter. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Good old days, let me tell you. Leather helmets. Yeah. We didn't need a week off between <laughs> games. Please. I've been in 50 <laughs> car crashes today. Why not make it 100? <laughs> yeah. So there you go. We'll see. So that, what's what's the total number there for Tennessee? 18 people, I heard. It's come, it's come to now? Yeah, it's players, personnel. Yeah, staffers. Yeah. All of it. It's, it's a full-on outbreak. It's going to be more. Outbreak. Oh, well, yeah. they're the they're the NFL's Miami Marlins, right? Yeah. Well, and it, I guess the Minnesota Vikings are really lucky because they played the Titans last weekend, and yeah, and they they also have Kirk Cousins, which makes them even more lucky. Good morning, Arash Madani. Although they did win yesterday, they did win yesterday. Congratulations! Not, not by much, but they, <laughs> they they got it done. W is a W. Uh, the leadoff Monday troll poll on Twitter: uh, Which Maple Leaf star is least likely? To be on the roster next season, Freddie Anderson, William Nylander, Mitch Marner, or other, you can write in responses at Scotty Mac thinks at UW Burl at Mike Zigamanis at Fan Five Ninety. You can text to Five Ninety Five Ninety. Stephen Brunn at the top of the hour at seven thirty. If you've got a child in the Greater Toronto Hockey League, you'll be interested in this one. The executive director and COO of the GTHL, Scott Oakman, on the decision to shut things down until at least January. We'll go over those details. With him, Ross Tucker, John Paul Morosi still ahead as well. And now's the time to call in, 416-870-0590, 416-870-0590. We've got $100 in Untucket gift cards to give away. We want you to be the winner, which means you need to be the contestant when we play All or Nothing next. A new week and $100 in Untucket gift cards up for grabs. All or nothing, three true or false questions. you got to get them all right or you got to screw them all up. So if you get the first one wrong, that means you got to get numbers two and three intentionally incorrect. Either way, get them all right or all wrong. The prize is yours. Joe in Scarborough is our contestant this Monday morning. Hello, Joe. Buongiorno, gents. How are you? We're doing very well. Good luck to you. Ziggy, you. you got question number one. All right. Tom Brady at 43 years old is the oldest quarterback to throw five TDs in a single game. True or false? You don't have to go true in that one. That is correct. Warren Moon at 40 held the previous record. All right, Joe, you're in good shape here. Get the next two correct. And you'll never tuck again. Joe, Joe, are you a Leaf fan? 
Mm, not really, no. Okay. Well, pretend you are for the next 30 seconds. Okay. The Leafs got a first-round pick in the Capitan trade with the Pittsburgh Penguins. That means they will pick twice in the first round of the NHL draft this week. Is that true or is that false? Two picks in the first round. Uh, I'll go false. Bingo. Uh, the pick from the Pens is their only selection since they dealt their own pick to the Carolina Hurricanes. That was a uh, salary dump. Yes, Patty it was. Marlowe. Yes, it was. Right? Baseball guy, Joe? Yeah. Okay. Oh, good man. Okay. So we got the Rays and the Yankees kicking off their American League Division Series tonight. These, of course, are two AL East rivals of the Blue Jays, which means they play a lot. They did play each other, the Rays and Yankees, 10 times this season. Tampa Bay dominated New York, going 8-2 and two in those 10 games. True or false? Very true. Yeah. Wow. Confidence. Joe's a baseball guy. Boom. Yeah. Love it. Congratulations, yeah. Joe. And the Rays are listed as the uh, betting favorites to win the series and uh, Joe is the winner this morning $100 in untucked gift cards and we'll attempt to give away another $100 in untucked gift cards when we play all or nothing at this time tomorrow morning be listening for your cue to call and you could be our contestant Ross Tucker John Paul Morosi in the 8 o'clock hour at 7.30 if you've got a child in the GTHL this is one you want to hear the executive director and COO of the GTHL Scott Oakman on the league's decision to shut things down for the rest of the 2020 calendar year. Stephen Brunt, the co-host of Writer's Block, he's next on the future of the Blue Jays and the state of the NHL heading into a big week. The draft starts tomorrow night at 7 o'clock on Sportsnet. Free agency opens up on Friday. We'll get into all of it with Stephen Brunt next. Yes. I know you want some. You're getting that in you before it goes fully brown. Before it's rotten. Before it starts to stink up the living room where you're sitting right now. I usually don't go longer than two days once the smoothie's made without drinking it. And yes, I do put it in the fridge. Cover it Thank with Thank you for a- asking. Wrap? No, it's sealed in a wrap. What do you think I do? Make the smoothie and put saran wrap over the the blender? I put it in airtight jars. I'm not a savage. Come on. Airtight jars. Oh, my God. (laughs) Opening your... What do you mean? Did I I cover it? A smoothie in the fridge, When if you don't cover it, it's going to be disgusting. Do you you make a smoothie and leave it on the counter for five days? Well, I have no idea, Ziggy. I mean, you've you've invented (laughs) some really weird stuff, so I I just want to check and make sure. Actually, I've been getting a lot of DMs about the smoothies after last week. Have you? Yeah, a lot of people reaching out. I hit the DMs up. Instagram, Mike Zigamanis, Twitter. I think my DMs are open on Twitter. 
You should probably uh, deal with that I if should, they're not. Yeah, now that you've invited the world into. I uh, know. Well, they're on Instagram. I think they're open. Yeah, they're, they're always, always open are. on Instagram. Yeah, they're always open. Are you five ninety five ninety? Get Scotty in on the action. It's way more fun. <laughs> <laughs> Pickett is neuroses on a Monday morning. Yes. And you know, too, I'm just thrown because the 49ers were I know not good last today. night. Not That's good. Just, it, not I mean, good. you can say what you want about that game, but yeah. It wasn't pretty. You should still, I don't know. I know they're, they're injury ridden, but they should still look better than that. Well. Uh, maybe they will. Maybe there's always next week, as they say. Scott Oakman is the executive director and COO of the GTHL. They have shut things down for the rest of calendar 2020. We'll talk to him about that at 7.30. Stephen Brunn is one of the co-hosts of Writer's Block here on Sportsnet 590, The Fan, and he is with us for his weekly Monday morning hit. Good morning, sir. How are you? I'm uh, fine and dandy, Scotty. How are you doing? I'm, um, well, I'm grumpy. My, my, I bet you are. My 49ers... <laughs> My, you know, I was thinking about this, Stephen, and, and we'll bring it up with Ross Tucker. I, I don't know. I don't know how many examples there are of this, and it it could just be my Monday morning mood after the Sunday evening loss. But when you're a backup, there are very few opportunities to emerge from being a backup, unless you're an Aaron Rodgers type, where you're the heir apparent. And Nick Mullins is a free agent this coming offseason in the NFL. And when you perform like he did last night in prime time, that might have been your one chance. Your one chance. I will never know what kind of money he cost himself. We'll never know how his future may have changed had last night's performance been better. I don't know how many examples there are of that sort of performance affecting a guy in the history of sports, but I would imagine there are more than a few. Yeah, well, I would say, you know, and, and you're right, kind of drifting into that, you know, backup quarterback uh, twilight that guys, now you can spend, if you're lucky, you can get paid for 10 years doing that, right? And make pretty good money standing there holding the clipboard. But um, when Garoppolo's back in two weeks, I think, is the, isn't is that the latest thinking, Scott? That's, like that's, yeah, although maybe the ankle really started to feel better last night. You never yeah. Know, right? But, but no, you're right. You you, you see, you have to kind of seize the opportunity, and as you say, unless you are the guy, you know, the guy waiting in the wings. Um, you know, that's the Tom Brady scenario, right? That you know, you're thrust into the spotlight because unexpectedly, because the starter gets hurt, and you never you you Wally Pip him. You know, you never give the job back. So, uh, yeah, I I, I I think that's that's a pretty good take on it. That's this this is the audition this is the chance and not just in terms of the 49ers but in terms of somebody else you know saying hey maybe this guy's a little better uh you know and and um you know the the, the flip side is guys with pedigree who are drafted really highly um and are a, are designated as as the successor as the heir apparent they get a lot of shots you know they they get a lot of shots before before somebody gives up on them if i'm a dallas cowboys fan this Ooh. morning and and I watched my quarterback go off for 500-plus passing yards, and then I watched my defense crater again and give up more than 300 rushing yards. And Dak and the guys, they fought back. They were in that football game in the final five minutes. They had a chance, and the defense couldn't get a stop. Odell Beckham Jr. on the, uh, on the pitch and run wide scores a touchdown. I, I have a hard time imagining that peace is maintained in a locker room like that when you have a thriving offense looking across the room at a defense 
that can't stop anything right yeah. now. No, I, anything. I think that's human human nature, right? Like they they are they are one kind of fluky comeback against Atlanta from being zero and four. Um, and you know the Mike McCarthy era has not started out particularly New. well there. I you know like offensively they they look like they can they can do all kinds of things, but. Um, you know what a mess, and I, you know if they were owned for it, would we? You know I, I'm not I'm not sure in this kind of weird season whether you know the the, the owner would have an itchy trigger finger, and you know obviously the guys that was his choice, and well everything there is his choice, um, but you know a, a team that a lot of people you know they look like they could still be a playoff team because the, the the their conference their division is terrible. You know I know the Eagles won last night, but it's. It's a garbage uh, division right now, so they they may still wind up being a playoff team, even though they started so badly. But uh, you know, for a team that some people kind of thought were nudging towards the a Super Bowl appearance this year from the from the NFC, uh, yeah, it's a huge mess. It, it it is a huge mess. And I, I look, I think you're right that uh, there's it, it's hard to know in these you know these days with Zoom chats and stuff. You know, it's it's hard to know what athletes are actually thinking or harder because. You know, the 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 hardworking folks who cover beats and actually go in dressing rooms and talk to guys and pull them aside and say, hey, just you know, off the record for background, can you tell me what's going on here? We're not getting as much of that. We didn't get any of that in baseball this year. We haven't had any of that in baseball. We're not getting as much of that in the NFL. But like I can think of other football teams in the past where you know that was absolutely the case, where you know the, they were dominant on one side of the ball, and there there was a you know kind of it's not like you're going to throw guys under the bus publicly because you're not allowed to do that. You know that is that kind of goes against the whole ethos of the game. But oh yeah, lots of eye rolling. You know, lots of what do we have to do? Do we have to score sixty here to win? And and I would think you know it's pretty close to it, right? That's that's probably how that offense is feeling right now. COVID has hit the NFL, Stephen. It's um you know it's moving one game to week seven. The Steelers and Titans mm-hmm. having to postpone their game, and and Patriots and Chiefs getting moved one day. Is it possible for the NFL to actually shorten the season if this becomes a bigger problem? I th- I don't think that I think they will do everything but, you know, unless they're absolutely 100% forced to. Like the, everything about, you know, all of the kind of their approach to COVID and the messaging around this is we're just going to kind of plow right through this. And yeah, we'll have a few positive tests along the way, but we're going to keep going and it doesn't matter. And um you know, look, baseball kind of did that, although they did have to cancel a bunch of games, and they, you know, they they had to do kind of all kinds of stuff with their schedule to try and make it semi-legitimate in the end. But I get the feeling with the NFL that you know, barring an entire team being shut down for uh, you know more than more than a week because of you know with the bye week you can play around with the schedule a little bit that they're going to just plow right through. You know, now what? Now the one scenario, and again, believe me, I'm not wishing this on anybody. And I, but the scenario we have not dealt with in professional sport yet, with the possible exception of Eduardo Rodriguez with the Red Sox, mm. is a player getting really sick. You know that, like we let alone somebody dying. Um, you know, we've COVID has been, um, you know, kind of a week to week, like a week to week injury so far for all of these athletes. They they go away, they come back. You know, the like the Marlins lost half their team, but eventually everybody came back. You know, we haven't had the the scenario where, you know, somebody ended up in the hospital on a ventilator, and maybe people had to think twice or three times about what the consequences were and what the risk was. Now, football is a game where people accept whether you know this. Is, everybody, you know, from the top on down accepts 
the fact that players risk their 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 well-being and in an extreme case you know risk their lives to play the game it is a violent dangerous game um but the, yeah, that question of acceptable risk like right now if it just means guys go away for a little while and then they come back and no one really talks about anybody having any kind of consequences beyond that you know we you think about it we haven't had that discussion in sports it, we, we really haven't had that discussion and maybe that's because these guys are young and healthy and they're not in the the demographic that is most likely to get really ill but you know it it, it could happen and I think that's that's the only thing that could kind of derail the momentum uh, towards, in the NFL's case, towards the Super Bowl. Well, what we don't know is is the state of the Titans because they're in a full-on outbreak with, with yep. 18 players, staff members, personnel, and positive tests. If there is, if, if we don't know yet about today, but if there is not a positive test today, Stephen, that would be the first time in five or six days that Tennessee has has come back with no new positives so Mm -hmm. their game yesterday is postponed ziggy detailed that it's it's being moved um to about a month from now the relative hometown team the buffalo bills they're scheduled to go to nashville and play the titans this coming sunday um or is Mm -hmm. it yes it is sunday one o'clock start so i mean and there's where you said if a team like tennessee gets pushed back by more than a week and now we're dealing with more than one missed game that's that's gonna be and then you got to deal with the fact that okay are there health implications going forward with some of these titans players are they even if they're no longer covid positive are they compromised health wise in any way and would that be advantageous to an indianapolis or a houston teams that get to play tennessee a lot so yeah. it's, uh, it's, no, it's a look, tough it's, one to it's, navigate it's it's a it's a good question. You know, look, you can't play double headers in football, right? Nope. And you you can't you can't really play twice a week in football. You know, you can play you can play Sunday and Thursday, which is pretty darn close, but then they don't make you play the following Sunday. So, I this in terms of the schedule being compromised, yeah, that could absolutely happen. Um, if you know if a team couldn't field a representative lineup, they like they, there's a lot of guys on an NFL roster, so it's it's not like they don't have layers of players that they could put on the field it's not like the marlins where they would have to go and you know hire guys off the street but um yeah there's the look there's there is the chance there's the chance of the schedule being disrupted um i there's maybe there's a chance of a team playing one fewer game than other teams and them having to adjust to that somehow in terms of how they assess the season but again i don't think that's going to stop them is what i'm saying i don't sense anything here is going to make them pause and say hey i'm not sure we should have done this there's only one scenario where that could possibly happen, and I say that hasn't happened in, you know, hasn't happened in European soccer. It hasn't happened in baseball. You know, it didn't happen obviously in the bubble sports, and I think anything less than that, they're just going to plow right on through, because, uh, you know, that's that is the uh, that is the goal right now. Um, you know, is to play the game and make the money. That that's the only goal right now. Stephen Brunt uh, from Writers Block with us on leadoff Sportsnet 590, the fan. So Ross Atkins was on Tim and Sid on Friday, and among the many things he said, one particularly stood out to me, and that was the notion that Vladimir Guerrero Jr. could very well be competing for the starting third baseman's job in spring training next year. Are they dangling a carrot at Vladdy 
here's third base. If you come in in shape, we'll take another look at you there. And if the answer to that question is yes, Stephen, Vladdy strikes me as a guy who's motivated most by trying to mash baseballs. Is is third base a carrot at which he would jump? Well, he likes third base. He likes playing third base better than anywhere else on the diamond. That's one thing I can tell you. Like, uh, that's, that is his position of choice. That goes all the way back to when he was a kid in the Dominican. And, you know, he was playing in the outfield when they first saw him, when the Jays people first saw him in the Dominican. He was, uh, you know, it was, and it was, I remember the thing that, I remember Alex Anthopoulos telling me this, is that they, with the thing they noticed that he couldn't throw the ball from the outfield. It looked like he didn't have any kind of an arm. And yet, when they put him at third base, you know, he could throw the ball pretty well. Um, but that is his position of choice. Look, I don't I, – I, I I'm going to take that one with a grain of salt. I'm not saying Ross doesn't mean it, but I think there's so many things that could shake down over this offseason in terms of, you know, how they build next year's roster, who's available to them, who they might pick up one way or another, and how they might adjust. That, you know, I guess there's a scenario where he winds up having a chance to play third base but i'm trying to imagine how that would happen right now look i i, I it, there's there's a ton of unknowns obviously in this off season you know like it, there's no one knows how much payroll anybody's going to have right now um no one knows what the free agent market's going to be like no one knows whether teams are going to be dumping salary through trade because their owners took such a hit during the pandemic and and where the jays would fit in in that like would they are they going to be buyers? They don't. They have very little payroll commitment. Maybe it's an opportunity for them. But I think you got to think about what they were willing to do last year. Not you know not in terms of Vladdy, but the fact that they they kicked around, uh, tried to sign Didi Gregorius, like that that tells you something because that means they were willing to move Bichette off off shortstop and move him to second. I think they're going to be looking for opportunities to add an impact bat, and then you work around whatever the position of that impact bat might be. Um, so, you know, and it, you know, maybe depends on whether, it, you know, a trade involves moving a guy like Jordan Groshans, you know, one of their best prospects, who's the third baseman primarily. So, you know, how, how would that thing change things organizationally? And they're thinking about third. So I, I, um, you know, it, or, or, you know, does Biggio end up, is there a scenario where with the shuffling of positions, it becomes more likely that, that Gavin Biggio is your everyday third baseman or closer to it. But I, I, I have a hard time seeing a way this breaks, Scotty, where the best option is to turn back the clock and give Vladdy another shot there. Uh, you know, I just there's a reason they moved him. Mm-hmm. You know, at the beginning of summer, in you know, at the beginning of uh, summer camp or for this this shortened season, and I would think all of those reasons are going to still exist next February. What are the percentage is that the, the Jays get? Um someone better than Ryu so Ryu goes to the second spot in the rotation well it's again it's all it's you get back into all of those uh you know all all of those variables with the marketplace and I don't think anybody I'm not sure anybody can answer that right now Ziggy um but look if a guy like Bauer is Bauer is going to be a free agent right um these guys know him pretty well from the Cleveland organization he is he would be he would immediately slot in as your number one and Rio would be your number two. Bauer has said uh, well and then although he's kind of backed off on it, but that idea that he only wanted to sign one year contracts. But look, I expect them again, not knowing the X factors in terms of how much money they actually have to play with. But I would expect them to be aggressive 
in the market. Well, let's put it this way: aggressive pursuing opportunities that might be there. Like I, I think they did, you know, may take a little bit of a run at Garrett Cole last year, and none of us would have expected that. I, I, I didn't expect them to anything like the Ryu signing last year. I didn't see that coming at all at this point in the competitive cycle. But I think, you know, if they have a little bit of cash to play with, they only have, you know, $53 million in committed payroll next year. It, it, it may be an opportunity to, you know, I say may either go into the free agent market or more, you know, maybe more likely to pluck somebody off someone else's roster, a team that has been ordered to, you know, dump payroll by their owners because their owners have been creamed by the pandemic, not just in baseball, but in their other businesses. So, you know, as, as long as they've got the green light, uh, this could be a, a, an offseason where you have a chance to do a lot of things. Um, and again, the, again, what what I think what last last offseason showed us was that if the opportunity presented itself, these guys are willing to be aggressive. Stephen Brunt with us on leadoff, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. The NHL has a big week. The draft begins on Sportsnet at 7 o'clock tomorrow night, the first round, and then the remaining rounds will take place on Wednesday. Free agency, Stephen, opens on Friday. We're seeing some dominoes fall in advance. Robin Leonard re-ups with the Vegas Golden Knights, five years, 25 million bucks. Tristan Jari, a Pittsburgh still relatively young goaltender, signs a three-year contract extension to remain there. Uh, not talking about Alex Petrangelo because he's the the top dog in all this, presuming he makes it to Friday without a contract in St. Louis. I'll be fascinated to see what kind of term and dollar a lot of players get given yep. the uncertainty surrounding the pandemic and the fact that there's a flat cap and there's some teams that will be looking to shed money because they've got budgetary restrictions related to the loss of revenue post-COVID. What we do know, though, is that there is absolutely no way to sell this Toronto Maple Leafs team as a Stanley Cup contender if the right side of their defense doesn't appreciably improve. We know that yep. Barry and CeCe are likely to move on. We'll wait and see who they fill in those spots. But this team has got to get better there if it's to be taken seriously as a cup contender. Yeah, I'd say that's, yeah, I think everybody would, well, given the way, when we last saw them losing to Columbus, you know, that would be, appear to have been one of their, well, all last season, really, but one of the, one of their issues, their biggest issue. But again, this is, and I know Berkey's talked about this a lot. Um, we are about to, we are, we are about to enter. We have entered a, an off season like no other in terms of, again, the uncertainty. Um, it's a different system than baseball because, you know, obviously with a cap system, but uh, I, I think some of those same things I was just talking about with baseball apply here. You know, you've got owners in hockey who took a huge hit this past season. Um, you know, it was better for them to play than not to play because of the TV money, but still took a huge hit. And, you know, and don't discount what owners who made their millions and billions in other businesses, what's happened to them in other places, in other, you know, other parts of their business. So there's going to be teams that are, I guess the question is going to be, you know, and again, with the uncertainty of whether you can sell a single ticket next year starting the season. Nobody knows what the revenue stream is going to be. So that would put, in theory, you know, put your Toronto Maple Leafs in, a, in an advantageous position if they can clear some space. Because I'm not sure how many cap teams there are going to be. You know, mm -hmm. like the, 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 cap, the cap number is artificial. It's the, you know, the cap number was negotiated. It's artificial. It does not reflect the revenues of this past season. Uh, as it normally would and um 
you know, and the next season is not going to be a normal revenue season either. So I think the number of teams that are willing to spend to the cap to compete is going to be, you know, logically it's going to be diminished, you know, maybe diminished by quite a bit. And you know the Leafs can spend to the cap. You know, even in dire circumstances, they can spend to the cap. So they may have an opportunity here, again, if they can clear enough space. Um, they're going to be one of the few, you know, I don't few, but one, one of the organizations in hockey that is is flush enough that they can take advantage of the economic struggles of other franchises, which sounds kind of heartless and horrible, but you know, welcome to welcome to capitalism, you know, in kind of a socialist system yeah. in hockey. But you know what I mean, right? Like they're going to you know, talk about kind of finding market advantages. There's a market advantage. You know, you guys can they can spend to the cap without a conscience. And there's going to be a lot of teams in this league that are where the owner's going to say, "Hang on a second, <laughs> you know, we got crushed last year. We might get crushed next year. I can't afford it, or I don't want to put my money here." So. You find a way to get us down, you know, get us, get us, uh, you know, into, into the middle class from the upper class. And, uh, I think that that's an opportunity for, for teams like the Leafs. You know, it, it, it should be just again, the question is, can they clear the decks enough that they can go out and, and take advantage of that and, you know, probably pluck a player from somebody that they wouldn't otherwise be able to get. We'll leave it there, Stephen. Appreciate the insight as always. We'll be listening at three o'clock this afternoon to writer's block and we'll talk to you next Monday. Thanksgiving right. Monday. Hey, wow. Have the turkey ready, pal. Yeah, a little tiny turkey this <laughs> yeah, year. <laughs> you, you bet. Yeah. Yeah. See you guys. Stephen Brunt, yeah. It's it's Thanksgiving with the with the immediate household. No big <laughs> gatherings. No big gatherings. The tofurkey is the perfect size. Yes. Well, the for to- all family gatherings. The tofurkey <laughs> no assures <laughs> that you will be no having. No one eats it except me. Yeah. yeah. You want to stay safe in the COVID pandemic and not <laughs> have anybody show up? Just let them know you're baking a tofurkey. Uh, we got to get to uh, Shane from Peterborough's text at five ninety five ninety. He's got a scenario. Uh, did you, the Maple Leafs? What's that? Did you hear the rumor between the Montreal Canadiens and a Tampa Bay player? We'll talk about it after the break. There's a hook. We'll also get to Scott Oakman. He is the executive director and COO of the GTHL. The GTHL has shut down for at least the remainder of the 2020 calendar year. Uh, we'll get Scott to explain the reasoning and where this all goes from here next. some point top three maybe top five bands or artists that we'll never be able to get to see Jimi Hendrix, Hendrix. number uno yeah. for me that's like, I'm sorry but gosh you just think like what could have been with him he was like, part of the we, he was part could, of the we, 27 club right 
all those yeah. musicians. What is it about that age? Like it was the same. It was the it's twenty seven or what? Twenty six or twenty seven? Twenty seven. Like it, it was Jim Morrison, Janis Joplin. Later a on, lot of them. Kurt Cobain in nineteen ninety four. A lot of them. Tragic. Just thinking, like go, going to Budweiser stage, and we could be watching him. Man, you know a, what I mean? He on could a be, summer night. Yeah. Yeah. He'd be, he'd be an like old that. dude now, but he'd still be he'd going. Be old, he'd still be going. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Sad. We'll get to uh, Shane and Peterborough's text in just a little bit. He's got about a four or a five piece thread here on how to fix the entirety of the Maple Leaf, Ziggy. I'll have to get your take on that one. And that Montreal Canadiens rumor. Okay. We'll get Alex. to that. Oh, no. Well, we'll get to that Not in just, just a second. Alex, are you talking Alex Kalorn? Alex Kalorn. Oh, have That's it. heating up. I got another message this during the show. Okay. All right. This but isn't from baseball. The price tags chat too high. This isn't baseball this is chat room. not the Jays chat room. Okay. This is... Uh, industry, <laughs> credible industry sources real. say Alex Kalorn. But hey, the chat group, we it, they called the Ryu game too, though. They Come did. on. They did. We'll have to start listening to them more closely now. Uh, we'll pivot here for just uh, a few minutes, and this is an important conversation around the city of Toronto. You uh, quite likely have a child who plays in the greater... Toronto Hockey League and uh, if you do your child will not be playing at least uh, for the rest of calendar 2020 as the uh, COVID-19 pandemic uh, ravages through our city and forces organizations to make difficult decisions. Scott Oakman is the executive director and the COO of the GTHL and he joins us on leadoff this morning. Uh, Mr. Oakman good morning how are you? Good morning, guys. How are you today? We're we're doing very well. So I, I think I I spoke in generalities about the decision uh, that you've made over the last forty eight hours or so. But uh, dive a little deeper for us. Um, what does this mean uh, for young hockey players in our city? And how did you arrive at this conclusion? Well, yeah, it's certainly been uh, a difficult uh, couple of weeks for our board of directors who have been wrestling with a, a bunch of different issues. And uh, throughout the summer, we had worked on um, a very comprehensive return-to-play strategy uh, that involved five different stages of uh, getting kids back into the ice, uh, or getting getting back kids on the ice to uh, hopefully down the road a, a return to normal and uh, the the first major uh, step of that would be would have been on October seventh, where we were actually allowing kids and organizations to return to the ice in a very controlled manner. And um, over the past uh, you know couple of weeks, with the rapid rise in cases and a statement made by uh, Dr. Devilla, the Toronto's medical officer of health, on Friday. Uh, about concerns around indoor sports. Our board convened a meeting on, on Saturday and uh, after a lengthy, lengthy uh, discussion uh, around what the right thing to do was in a time when uh, there's a lot of uncertainty about what the right thing to do is, is was to, to put a pause on things until uh, the, the new year and uh, monitor how things progress over the next um, couple of months to determine at what stage in, in January we'd be able to return uh, and allow our organizations to return to action. Yeah, I wanted to ask about why the de- why delay the decision to January instead of, like, why not reassess in, say, another month, maybe November? Yeah, I think, I think part, of the, part of the challenge our organizations face, and listen, there isn't anybody 
uh, in our organization that have been working harder than the frontline people within within our organizations themselves. They've been uh, reviewing our return to play strategy and and uh, trying to recruit additional volunteers to do screening of players as they're coming in and out of the arena and making sure that the the uh, structure within arenas was uh, conducive to having players move through them and safely. Um, so they've been working. Uh, well and above and beyond what's normally expected of them. And, um, you know, they were facing challenges with that and, and um, had concerns about, about their ability to, uh, in this environment, to, um, to be able to do it properly. So um, I, th- I think our board essentially decided that we, we know or we're hearing based on modeling the next month, maybe two months are going to be, really challenging with the numbers we're hearing uh that contact tracing is becoming a challenge in the city of toronto so we just really thought for from a certainty perspective um for organizations to be able to react for facilities to be able to be ready um that we needed some extra time on the end of all of this to properly open up so um all of that combined to us landing on the january date Scott Oakman is with us. He is the executive director and COO of the GTHL, which is shut down for the remainder of the 2020 calendar year. You're listening to Leadoff, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. So does this mean now that teams can still practice on their own as long as they're not part of the sanctioned, I guess, scheduled practices that every team has? I guess, what is it now, one a week? Like, can they go, like, if if I'm coaching... um, a minor hockey league team, can I not take 10 players from my team and run practices and split them up 10 and 10 or something along those lines? Yeah. I mean, we're, we're not in a position to tell people what they can do outside of our organization. There's obviously ice facilities available and currently still in the GTA. So, um, you know, families and, and individuals can choose to do what they want. It just, any activity that's taking place uh, in that regard, it would not be under our auspices and, and therefore not governed by us, not insured through the system, et cetera. Scott, what kind of planning goes in between now and January? Because I, regardless of where we stand on COVID, and I would classify myself who fall as someone who falls on the more conservative side, I, I think mostly of the physical health um, and the ramifications tied to physical health as it as it relates to this to this virus, uh, there are parents who are concerned about um, the mental health of their kids, their the, the the need of their children to to get out and to compete in a, a sport that they love. And some would say, well, this this virus is probably going to be with us for a significant period of time, and we can't predict when exactly there will be a catch-all uh, inoculation uh, or whatever it may take to fully eradicate this thing. What kind of planning goes in now, if if it's even possible, what kind of planning goes in now to try to bring the GTHL back in some form in the event that COVID-19 remains a significant part of our lives in 2021, 2022, potentially beyond? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. And and um, in, in my view, we had the most conservative return to play strategy in all of hockey that I've seen. And I've seen the collaborating with people across the country who are working on strategies. So 
uh, from the beginning, we already had a very conservative approach. We also knew that given uh, our geography and, and the um, population uh, numbers in the GTA, that we would probably be one of the organizations that's most challenged with uh, the increase in infection rates. So that was part of the reason why our strategy was was conservative. So we'll, we'll do what we've continued doing, which is uh, um, collaborating and, and getting uh uh, advice from medical health experts on any changes to the plan that we have. Um, we we think um, you know we we built our plan understanding that there would be times where we have to step forward and uh, take it, or we have, might have to take a step back in in the stage that we're in, and it was designed in that way. And that I don't think will change um, until we get to a point where the virus is is under control. So, so the plan would remain in place that way. Um, it's just the the uh, start date for um, the on ice activity just seems to be coinciding with, or the proposed start date seems to be coinciding with, you know, the start of or the early beginnings of the second wave. And um, you know, it, we had a great deal of discussion around the the mental health aspects um, and the importance sport plays in, in helping young people in that regard. But uh, we, we came back to almost uh, the way you framed the question, that the, the physical side of it and the health impact, potential health impacts to the players and their families, uh, parents, grandparents, and the greater community um, was first and foremost the priority at this point in time in history. So, um, knowing knowing that and and um, you know and I, I've said this a few times, our board essentially feels like there, there's no clear right or wrong answer here, and if they're going to be wrong, their preference is to be wrong around um, not starting hockey now and having history demonstrate it was the wrong decision versus starting hockey now and and history um, determining it was the wrong decision because of the dire consequences that that could happen. So. Um, you know, mental health is certainly important. We encourage kids to and their families to get out and be physical in a way that's safe and healthy for them within the guidelines. Um, street hockey, maybe, maybe making a big comeback this year, which would be a great thing. So kids can play outdoors and, and within the health guidelines and, and participate. That would be an amazing thing to see um, while this is going on. Has there been any discussion about a worry, I guess, not a worry if worry is the right word, but players leaving the GTHL and going to, say, the OMHA because they're in a different phase, right? I think they're in a phase two of, of their plan and moving to stage three soon um, about players leaving there and actually playing outside the city. Yeah, again, that, that's certainly a consideration, but I don't think it's, it's a worry. Um, the... the um, if, if that's what fam- if that's what families are choosing to do, and and the local hockey associations there have uh, space for those players, and it's permitted within the rules of the Ontario Hockey Federation, then um, you know that's that's the way it needs to be. At the end of the day, uh, this decision came back to what was the right thing for the players and families and the community and our organizations at this moment in time, and uh, we're hoping January. January, we'll see a turnaround on this and we'll be able to open up again. And, and, um, you know, the future will dictate how our organization looks, but, uh, 
you know, if players and families can find a place to play safely in, in communities outside the GTA, then then that's, that's you know, that's going to happen and that wouldn't be such a bad thing. Scott, it's uh, no doubt been uh, a tough uh, number of weeks for you to make this decision along with the board of the GTHL. Uh, we thank you for your time this morning in explaining it and uh, we wish you good luck as the um, months go and we'll certainly call on you again as, as future decisions are made. Thank you. I appreciate your time. Thank you. Scott Oakman is the executive director and COO of the GTHL. Uh, no more GTHL hockey uh, for the rest of the calendar 2020 year. I played in the MTHL back in the day. That's the precursor to the G when it was the Metro, Metro Toronto Hockey yes. League before it was the I still greater. Got some stubs. We used to pay to go to games. $2.50. The players had to pay. I think that all stopped, though. The players don't pay anymore. Well, I actually had to pay to enter the rink. $2.50. You pulling out a toonie and a couple of quarters. I don't know if toonies were around then. Oh, the red $2 bills? I don't know if maybe the maybe the loonies were around. The loonies. I think were it was around. a couple loonies, yeah. or you'd go. Yeah, I think the loonies were around then. There you go. But um, that's how old you yeah, are. Maybe, by the way. You yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe the two dollar bill was still around. I don't know. Eighties, late eighties. Yeah. Yeah, that probably was. You're okay. an old man. Man, I am just, an old man. Next January, we're gonna have to come up with a big, uh, a big celebration. You know how last uh, week I was locked out of hashtag Chiefs Kingdom. Because I wanted, I wanted a one day, I wanted one day on the wagon to vote to. I've been invited to Bill's Mafia and the Dan and Georgetown. Because oh, all your all your players are injured, you're just going to move teams. No, I interesting no, mid season move. At what at least point I move in the off season when I don't know what's going to happen? At what point during this show did I suggest I was looking to jump ship? I have sat through two and fourteen seasons. And then the drafting of Alex Smith over Aaron Rodgers as a result of that 2-14 and 14 season. I've sat through it all. But Dan and Georgetown with a very nice invite. Scotty Mack, I'm the president of the Bills fan club. We'll take you into the Bills mafia. You just have to get choke slammed through a table once. <laughs> choke slammed. Yeah, that's the rite of passage. You... That's the rite of passage. Taking a choke slam through a table. I need to know if the table is gimmicked. Is it? Is it a breakaway table? Is it a fake table? <laughs> is, yeah. it a, is it a fake table? Oh, here we go. You take your dig at the wrestling. All right. Uh, and Chris always. in Toronto texts into five ninety five ninety. The Montreal Canadiens should be the lead story. Um, the answer to that question is no. Uh, not that it was a question. <laughs> the reaction to that statement is. No, not at all. But you say you've got industry sources talking about the Habs. Yeah, and here's my thing, though. My, we're getting into it now. We're we waiting. We gotta, we gotta hook them one more time. Okay, we we'll got, dig into it more. We got Ross Tucker at the top of the hour. Week four, of the NFL is almost in the books. We got the uh, baseball playoffs resuming tonight with the division series. John Paul Morosi coming up at eight thirty. Hugh will jump into studio with something to chew on next. Tucker at the uh, top of the hour. Something to chew on. Hugh Burl in studio. 
But I'm, Hugh, we're going to hand the I'm deferring. We're yeah. going to hand the floor over to Mike Zigamanis, yeah, Alex Kalorn, and the Montreal Canadiens. What, what what do you got for us here? Yeah, so a lot of chatter going on there. The only thing I don't think will work out though with it is Montreal or Tampa wants a first rounder, and I have a hard time believing Montreal is going to give up a first rounder. For a third line player, I know Clarn would he almost have twenty goals this year. No, he had twenty six, but it was the first first time in his career Ziggy scored twenty in a he's, season. Yeah, he's thirty one. But the most he's had is nineteen, I think, prior to this season, yes. right? So, so he this is, is a twenty just, goal score. This is just a first rounder for Kalorn. There's nobody else in, involved in this. Yeah, so I, I guess that's the talk. Is just it's a they want a first rounder for Kalorn, but I mean Tampa Bay is going to be in a bind, right? a lot of players are coming up next year the contracts are 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 kicking in so they they have to either move contracts or they're going to be buying out players i mean there's no other way around it um i i wouldn't if i'm an nhl team right now i'm not making a move for anybody that's in a bind right now with their cap situation unless it's i'm getting huge return on for taking taking that space i wouldn't make a move i would just i would i think waiting right now is the best thing to do as a general manager well but and, and fireworks it, this week well and julian Brisebois may be just over asking at this point it's the start of the negotiation but remember the leafs got a first rounder for casper kapanen so maybe that sets an unrealistic market for mm-hmm. I, i'm seven eight nine forwards um you know, guys who aren't in the top six, but who are kind of third liners. The Habs still have to figure out what they're doing with Max Domi. Um, restricted free restricted agent. Restricted free agent yeah. uh, was, at one time, was their number one center. And during the playoffs, he was down on the fourth line, uh, getting very few minutes of ice time. So there, there's a question for the Habs there. Ross Tucker on the Dallas Cowboys. If it hasn't begun, how long until there is internal dissent in Big D, how much money, if any, did Nick Mullins really cost himself last night? And the 4-0 Buffalo Bills. We'll get into all of that. Week four of the NFL with Ross Tucker next. Some insane numbers coming out of that Cleveland-Dallas game for offensive players. Got to talk a little Tom Brady. The 4-0 Buffalo Bills and what went down on Sunday Night Football uh, last night. Ross Tucker is with us for his weekly 8 a.m. Monday hit here on leadoff. The Ross Tucker Football Podcast, the Fantasy Feast Podcast, and so much more. Good morning, sir. How are you? You know what? I'm great. We got a doubleheader tonight, it sounds like, which is exciting. There was a lot of awesome action yesterday. I will not be recommending anyone to take the under on the Even Money Betting Podcast anytime soon. It is crazy, the scoring in the NFL right now. 
but it makes it exciting. It makes it entertaining. So, Ross, you were a, an offensive lineman in, in your career. Uh, put yourself for a second in a Dallas Cowboys uniform. You're in the locker beside Dak Prescott, who has just thrown for 500 yards in yesterday's game, and you guys lose again. You're looking across the room at a bunch of defensive players who are just sitting there stunned. Is their descent building in that Dallas locker room bitterness from that offense that the defense can't stop anything or is this team keeping it together well it's hard to know that obviously unless you're there I'm sure there is how would you frustration. feel how would you feel um how would I feel about the defense yeah if you were a Cowboys offensive I, player right now well, I, I would wish that they would play better, but I wouldn't feel like two couple things, right? Three three things. Number one, it's such a um, such an independent contractor type sport that I would wish they were playing better. But ultimately, you really just, if I'm being honest, you worry about yourself and doing your job for your career, your money, your contract, all that stuff. That's the only thing you can control. Number one. Number two, um, I would realize that it can go either way. There were multiple times in my career when we stunk as an offense and our defense was awesome. So, so you know that that can go either way. And then number three, I would realize that there's still more things we could do. I mean, you know, if Dak doesn't fumble, if Zeke doesn't fumble, you know, yeah, the defense stinks, and that would be disappointing and frustrating, but there's nothing preventing the Cowboys from scoring on everyone every time they get the ball and holding up their end of the bargain more. I mean, they could have matched the Browns score for score, and they didn't. Dak Prescott is on pace for 6,700 passing yards this season, though. But a lot of these yards, obviously, through four weeks, are coming when they're down, right? Does that make a difference when you're getting this offense, when you're playing from behind, like, is it not easier to get those yards? Like aren't defenses not as paying attention to detail and not maybe foot off the gas pedal a little bit? Yes. And yes. Uh, and I think, I think the, the real thing there is they're just playing softer zone coverages, mm -hmm. right? So when you have these big leads, like the Falcons have had against them, like the Browns have had against them. The one thing you really don't want to have happen is you don't want to get beat deep. So what happens is, is you rush four, you have, you play zone behind it and Dak has time to throw. He's able to complete a lot of these crossing routes and they're able to get, you know, a, a, a lot of yards are able to rack up the yards. Like he's done the last three games. Uh, it definitely makes it easier I mean, yeah, he's on pace for 6,700 yards. Also on pace to be a, the quarterback of a 4-12 and football team, who, by the way, is crazy lucky that they even have one win with that Falcons onside kick. That's a fair point, although I was making that point to a Dallas Cowboys fan recently, and he made it very clear to me, Ross, that they got screwed on that P.I. call, offensive P.I. call against Gallup in week one at the Rams. So there's an offset for everything in the mind of a – in the mind of a Cowboys fan. We're with Ross Tucker on leadoff, Sportsnet 590, the fan. Tom Brady did not have 
the weapons to which he was accustomed in New England the last year or two. And I think I get caught up in this as well, Ross. We all want to be the first person to declare the end of Tom Brady. And we are thinking to ourselves, can this guy throw the football deep anymore? If there were any questions about whether Tom Brady still had a deep ball, he answered that repeatedly yesterday. I I know there was a pick six early in that football game that wasn't pretty. Everything after was beautiful. Tom Brady still got it. He does. And you know, it's interesting. Breeze threw an interception early too. And then they both went on to have awesome games. And I think that's a really good football lesson, life lesson, you know, and they used to say this when I was playing, you can have a bad play. You can't have a bad day, right? Like, you know, as a DB, you're going to get a beat. Offensive lineman, you're going to get beat. Uh, Quarterback might throw a pick. You can't let it affect your performance the rest of the way. And that's exactly what he didn't let happen. He just kept playing and he actually had an awesome game and they needed it because Justin Herbert was really good for the Chargers. So impressed with that rookie. He's way better than I thought he would be. I also think it's a good point you bring up about Brady and Breeze and their age. I mean, I I don't know what it is, but it seems like on social media, people are so eager to say these guys don't have it anymore. Father time's undefeated. They can't throw it. I don't know why. It's like, I, I don't know. People are like so eager to be like, see, you can't play more. And then the guys just keep playing well. I don't know why people seem to be so excited to say that these guys are declining. I mean, they're 43 and 41. I mean, I'm 41. I've been retired for 13 years. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm 41 and I never had it. <laughs> um, this Tampa Bay defense, how do you rate them compared to what Brady's had with his teams with the Patriots? Well, it's an interesting question because I think that the Bucks have a really good defense, but I'm not sure they showed it yesterday. I mean, they got beat deep a couple times, Justin Herbert. You know, I thought the Bucks would come out. I mean, I think on the Even Money podcast, I referenced this earlier, it's a, it's a betting podcast I have. I told people to take the under 45 in that game. I thought, no Chris Godwin. The Bucks going against a really good Chargers defense. And then rookie quarterback Justin Herbert without Mike Williams and with – O-line decimated by injury against this awesome Bucks defense. Yet he goes out there and throws for a bunch of yards. They score a lot of points. It's crazy. I mean, it's just crazy how far ahead of the defenses the offenses are. I was not expecting Herbert and the Chargers to do that at all because I think the Bucks have a really good defense. And the reason I'm asking is how much does that affect like a quarterback and an offense on a team, especially a guy like Brady when your defense well, is like not as good, right? Like they, 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 they turn the ball like chargers. Herbert turns the ball over and it's a, it's like it, it revived Brady yesterday. Yeah, I think you're right. You know, I, I think, I don't know if he even knew how good they were when he chose to go there. Right. But mm. watching the bucks defense through the first three games, he clearly chose wisely, 
And I don't think they're as good as the Patriots defense when they were at their height with Brewski and McGinnis and those guys. They're probably not even as good as the Patriots defense last year. But they certainly have a top 10 defense and maybe even top five, which really helps Brady feel like he doesn't have to win a shootout typically, although he did yesterday. Ross Tucker with us on leadoff Sportsnet 590, the fan. Um, you know that I'm a big 49ers fan, Ross. So I, I woke up this morning a, a little cranky and the, it's, it's hard when you have a team that you root for and you see the injuries and you say to yourself at the quarter mark of the season, man, it it's, they might get in, but they're not there with Seattle anymore. They might not even be there with the Rams or the Packers or some of the top other teams in the NFC just because the injuries are so debilitating. But taken more in the micro, if I'm Nick Mullins and I'm a free agent and I don't know if this is content generation or if they're people who actually legitimately believe that Nick Mullins could be a starting quarterback somewhere – if I go out and perform like I did on Sunday Night Football last night, that could have been my one shot. Did Nick Mullins just cement himself as a backup in the minds of everybody in the NFL from here to kingdom come? Or can he repair himself off a game like that? Yeah, I, I think backup. Um, and I think he had a golden opportunity last night. He had some momentum. People were feeling good about him. You know, Kurt Warner was even saying yesterday that he runs the offense better than Jimmy Garoppolo does. And he did not play well, uh, clearly. He missed some throws he needed to make, had some turnovers. I mean, the pick six was an absolute killer. And so I know this, can speak to this from experience. When you're an undrafted free agent like he is, right, and like I was, you can have a lot of good plays, but then when you have that one bad play, people will point to it and say, see, he's not a starter. Yep. You know, there's a reason why he wasn't drafted. And that pick six especially was the one for Nick Mullins. And here's the other thing. People don't talk about that much. There aren't that many teams really looking for quarterbacks, for starting quarterbacks right now. You've got at least three first-round picks coming in the upcoming draft. So I don't, I don't know who out there is saying, oh, yeah, Nick Mullins would definitely be an upgrade over Daniel Jones or Sam Darnold or whoever. And by the way, if those teams are going to upgrade, I don't think they're going to think it's Nick Mullins. I think they're going to think it's Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields or one of these stud college kids. It, it, so it, it's too much of a hot take to say that Nick Mullins may have cost himself millions and millions and millions of dollars, but he cost himself money last night, didn't he? Some degree. Definitely cost himself money. Definitely cost himself opportunity. I mean, if he had played extremely well, I think they would have put Garoppolo back in the lineup, but I don't know. I'm not saying it's a hundred percent. Maybe there was a 5% chance that if Mullins lit it up, that they would have kept him in there. But even at a minimum, let's just say he played really well last night, like he did against the giants. And then they put Garoppolo back in. Well, then, you know, sometimes you're better off just playing really well in a small sample size. And when he's a free agent, there might have been a team that said, you know what, kind of like what the uh, Carolina Panthers did with Teddy Bridgewater. Could have been a team that said, you know what, every time that darn Mullins plays, he plays well. Let's give him a shot to be the guy here on a 
maybe a two or three year deal, decent money. And, but I think he can be our guy. I think he blew that opportunity last night. I, I think it was a huge, huge negative for him. I feel bad for him, but such is life. You know, when you're a high pick, you get a lot of opportunities when you're undrafted or a low pick, you really don't. And, you know, getting benched for CJ Beathard, everybody watched that game. It was prime time. It was uh, that, that game last night. You're exactly right. Had an impact on Nick Mullins, uh, the rest of his life, quite frankly, because if he had played well and then Garoppolo came back, I think someone would have given him at a minimum, right? A really nice backup contract, you know, like five to $7 million a year as a backup. I don't, I don't know that he gets that now. Russell Wilson had another great game yesterday, starting off now 4-0. Apparently his headset went out when the score was 17-15. How often does that actually happen? And is he a guy that, that you could trust to call his own place? Cause it doesn't happen that often, right? No. And usually if it happens, they like stop the game or they have a backup helmet or whatever. And yeah, I mean, I, at this point, I think you could trust Russell Wilson to do just about anything. I mean, it, it, the guy is absolutely incredible. I didn't think he'd be able to do that against the Dolphins. I mean, at some point I felt like he'd start to slow down a little bit. But they've done a really nice job getting DK Metcalf and lock it around him. He just throws such a beautiful ball. The throws he makes on the move are ridiculous. I love the way he carries himself on and off the field. I mean, he's just, you know, there's a reason why those guys make $35, $40 million a year. They're worth it. I mean, in, in the big picture of the revenue that these franchises generate, they are by far the most important person in those organizations. And Russell Wilson is worth every penny. Last one for you, Ross. Um, And we asked our friend Charles Davis on Friday morning this very same question, thinking the game would be yesterday, but it's been moved because of Cam Newton's COVID diagnosis. The Patriots will obviously not have Newton, so they will not have their starting quarterback. Jared Stidham will play. How does Bill Belichick, that brilliant mind, neutralize Kansas City's offense. He likes to take away the thing you're best at. The problem is, is Kansas City's best at about 90 different things offensively. Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, by the way, just as this, I think it's going to be Brian Hoyer, actually. Oh, Brian Hoyer, tonight. okay. There you uh, go. Yeah, which is interesting. Um, and I, I'm sure offensively, well, the first thing Belichick will do is they'll just try to run, run, run. Now, I think they would have been a lot more effective with that if they had Cam. But I think they'll try to run Sony Michelle and Burkhead and those guys, try to keep Mahomes on the sideline. That's number one. And then um, my guess is they'll play a lot of coverage. They'll play a lot of um, off coverage. They don't want to get beat deep. You know, they've got sayings there in the facility, get the bleep back. I don't think they want to give up anything deep and cheap. You almost have to hope Mahomes uh, doesn't have a great night throwing the underneath stuff. And it sounds weird. It's almost like the Super Bowl 25 game plan against the Buffalo Bills when he was the D coordinator for the Giants. It's almost like you let them run the ball, right? Like Clyde Edwards, Hilaire, even if he's getting five yards a pop, that's better than what Mahomes does. Hmm. Where can we get you? The Ross Tucker Football Podcast, the Fantasy Feast Podcast, 
the Even Money podcast. Where else? Yeah, those are the big ones. And really, I got a new YouTube page, which is awesome. YouTube.com slash Ross Tucker NFL. So even if you want to just start with the highlight clips of each of those shows, two or three highlight clips, I think you would really enjoy it. YouTube.com slash Ross Tucker NFL. You're the man. We'll talk next Monday. Thank you. See you guys. Bad Ross Tucker. I don't even know how to introduce him. We, we, we should start introducing Ross with the entire resume. The Ross and Tucker me football stopping podcast. halfway through saying, okay, okay, enough's enough. Like, come on. No, no, no. We should, we should, <laughs> we should set up a series of shots and you just throw one back each time. I, the Ross Tucker football podcast, take a shot. The fantasy How feast, many? take a shot. The take a shot every, t- every time Ross Tucker take a says shot. <laughs> He's the man. Who has though? more podcasts than Ross Tucker? Well, yeah, I, he is the man. And the Ross Tucker football podcast is great because he, he wakes up bright and early. He does it. He knocks it out. It's about a half an hour. So it's good and compact. It gets you all the information that uh, that you need about the uh, NFL. And he does it each and every each and every day of the week. John Paul Morosi, the final postmortem. Uh, his thoughts on the Blue Jays, because this time last week we were previewing the Blue Jays series with the Rays. We'll look back on that series, things that we learned, where do the Blue Jays go from here, and we'll tee up the uh, division series. The American League gets underway, Oakland and Houston at 4 o'clock this afternoon, and then the Yankees play the Rays in San Diego at 8 o'clock tonight. John Paul Morosi, next. Texas mood. Because that's where John Paul Morosi is. Oh. Stevie Ray Vaughan. Stevie Ray Vaughan. He's in in Texas? He's in Texas because Fox has has the division series on the National League side. Okay. And TBS has the, this is, of course, south of the border. Everything up here is on Sportsnet. TBS has the uh, American League. Uh, division series, which will be going on in San Diego and in Los Angeles. Uh, John Paul Morosi with us. Are you in Houston or are you in Arlington? Good morning, gentlemen. Uh, I am in Arlington. Uh, so I am working the MLB Network broadcast on Thursday of this this series uh, okay. with uh, Matt Veskersian and John Smoltz, which is going to be a lot of fun. And interestingly enough, I arrived here. Uh, I was looking at my itinerary and seeing how long it might take to get to the hotel. It's just obviously different travel nowadays, so we're, we're just kind of looking for more information. And sure enough, I say, wait a minute, I'm just going to be arriving to my hotel in Arlington as the Cowboys game is ending. So 
So there, there were fans actually here at the game in Arlington, uh, which is a separate story. But uh, I'm, I'm getting uh, getting to the, to the to the hotel, and, and I'm seeing a lot of sad cowboy fans trudging away from uh, from Jerry's World here. So okay, well, kind of a re- remarkable way to begin my my journey. John, you're you're too classy to do this, but you should have been walking the lobby. How about them cowboys? Huh? <laughs> Give us one of those. Yeah. Well, wait, wait a minute. To back up a little bit, you do realize the state in which I reside. That, that's and right. You, you don't the, want to be doing TV broadcasts success. with black eyes later this week. Well, right, but but also, but also, the, my my pride in general. They would say, "Well, wait, who is your team? Where are you from?" And I'd say, "Well, I'm from I'm from Detroit." Oh, Detroit! That's, so I'd say there, there was that one game we played in January of 1992, the only game since 1957 the Lions actually won in the playoffs. Hey, that was against the Cowboys at the Silverdome. Right. Uh, but that's it. I mean, that's that's the only uh, positive playoff memory. There was still, of course, that very controversial uh, uh, pass interference call. That wasn't uh, between the Lions and the Cowboys a few years ago that I'm sure would have been brought up in, in pretty short order had I mentioned anything about the Cowboys. So was it 6.30 a.m. there then? Uh, 7.30, but I, I, I oh, get up early an hour back. Guys. This is, uh, I was yeah, going to say all-star. Uh, all, all this is our all-star right here. John Morosi, uh, I, uh, our all-star. Love, love chat with you guys. And, and <laughs> now I honestly, not, not that not that my wife is listening to us, uh, the, the live features at the hospital working right now. But you know, the, the the reality is when when I am in a hotel room, the, the sleep that you get there relative to when you've got uh, three beautiful children to have to take care of. But you know, it's just it's a very different a very different matter of sleep uh, when it's on the road versus at home for sure. That's right. You're traveling to uh, to catch up on sleep the way that it works out. John Paul Morosi <laughs> with us. This is leadoff sports. Net 590, the fan. So before we get into the postseason brackets and, and who's left, let's do the dissection uh, because it was this time last week, John, that we were talking about the Jays and Rays and previewing the series. Uh, what was your main takeaway? Again, a small sample size makes things very diff- difficult. You're not going to sit there and, and, and assess the quality of a team based on a, on a two-game series, but if there is a takeaway or two that you have about the Toronto Blue Jays after witnessing the two games against the Rays last week, what would that takeaway or those takeaways be? Well, first takeaway is that my prediction was wrong. I, I very boldly said the Jays would win on the air last week. But thank you for not beginning the, the question. You're with angling that, uh... for a passport, and we understand <laughs> that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so I try to spread some goodwill. I was hoping that, that our, I was hoping our friends in Ottawa were listening at the at the time. But uh, I I would say this that that it was pretty evident to me, and I'm sure to a lot of us that that the overall depth. Uh, of the Jays was not comparing with what the Rays have. And and I think that um, you look overall, the Jays are better, but they looked like the eight seed and the Rays looked like the one seed. That that was what I saw in terms of just their relative uh, struggles of of the Jays, I think to handle uh, the, the overall depth that the Rays were thrown at them. So I think you look at, you know, a couple of things. I was a little surprised at the end of the day that Walker didn't pitch at all during the series. That was a surprise. Uh, I think that that to me seemed to be a bit of a, a, a maybe a little bit of an error in, in the way that uh, things were, were arranged for the Jays. But the reality is that they were not as good as Tampa. The Tampa was a better team. And so you look at things and 
I would say the Jays have to get at least one significant veteran starting pitcher. But more importantly, the, the, the key for the, for the Rays was just how much depth they had after the veteran starters. And that's why I believe Nate Pearson is going to have to be really crucial for this team next year. And, and guys like Kay and Woods Richardson, they need to, the, the internal guys to really emerge. And the one thing that I'll be really curious to see is, do the Jays get aggressive and move one of their young position player prospects like a Groshans or a, or a Martin and, and get a pitcher to someone that's, that can really kind of be a tandem there with Pearson and, and really kind of go all in on the pitching and then just say, listen, for us to be good, we're going to need the young guys that we've already got position player wise at the major league level to be great. It's hard for me to imagine this team being a division champion without a healthy and productive lad. So maybe you focus on the pitching and then really work with Vlad and ways that he could maybe get to be a bit more consistent, but I uh, think good season overall, they had experience at, at the playoff level, but I think that the, the gap between where the Rays and the Yankees are and where the Jays are was pretty evident to me uh, last week. Does the way Ryu pitched in game two change your perception of him and that the Jays have to maybe go out and look for and be even more aggressive for another, you know, starting pitcher in the rotation? Right. That's a fair question. Obviously it wasn't a good start. He's had good playoff starts before. I don't think it was a case of the the stage being too big for him. I think he could handle that. To me, I I just think that he he didn't seem sharp. I think overall his first year in Toronto was was fine. It wasn't dominant, but it was it was a fine year. I I do think overall though that they need especially losing Shoemaker and and Walker and Ray potentially. I mean that they they've got to get some more pitching and and they can't just say well the rotation is going to be. Ryu and then and let's hope on 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 a Pearson or a or a Woods Richardson or a K to arrive and, and, and be you know of course K moving from the bullpen potentially I just I I don't think that's that's realistic in that division this is still a very hard division I, the, the the Red Sox are not going to have a quiet winter that they're going to do something the Orioles are getting better they have got a pretty formidable lineup I think there in addition to two playoff teams so I I do think that as much as you hate to do it. Spending on pitching is something the Jays have to still do, which is why when you really pull back and look at the big picture here, developing your own pitching or acquiring pitching at a, at young stages and then developing it according to the way that you like to uh, have that pitching philosophy, the way the Rays have done it. It's just, that's, that's how you got to do it eventually. And the Rays have done it very smartly with some very targeted moves. They trade for glass. Now when his stock was down, Snell was a homegrown guy. Morton was a free agent who really wanted to sign there because he's, he's from the area and wanted to live there. There's, there's, there are ways to do it. But the Jays, I think they're going to have to explore some other avenues to make their pitching better. I think you're right, Mike, that they have to find a way to get at least one more high-quality starter to pair with this group and then hope that Pearson takes the next step in, in 2021. John Paul Morosi is our guest. This is leadoff, Sportsnet 590, the fan. So you're in Arlington for the Dodgers-Padres series. Yeah, um, which exactly. Outside of the Yankees' Rays, just because we're so familiar with them, having them be Blue Jays' arrivals in the American League East, this is the series that that I'm definitely most in, intrigued by. And I think from a geographical perspective, it's little old San Diego, beautiful San Diego, looking up at the big monster up the freeway, up the five freeway, an hour and a half, two hours north, Los Angeles. This is the team that they've been trying 
to get to for a number of years now. And we're going to see this play out in the playoffs, this relatively young Padres team. In a best of five, John, anything is possible. If you get hot at the right time and your opponent gets cold at the wrong time from their perspective, you can beat them. I don't think this happens yet, though. I think with Bueller and Kershaw and that Dodgers lineup, it doesn't happen yet. Do you agree with me? Well, it shouldn't happen. And if, if you're forced to pick, I, I, I would say yes, uh, advantage Dodgers. But here's where it gets really interesting. The Padres, there's hope that at least Clevenger and Lamette, uh, or at least Clevenger, will be active for the, the division series roster. Now, Clevenger, of course, was their big-time trade deadline acquisition. There's a lot of high hopes for him, and he missed the first round because of an elbow issue. Now, how healthy is he going to be? He had a cortisone injection a little more than a week ago. I, I, it's it's probably wishful thinking to expect that he's going to all of a sudden pop back onto the roster and, and throw seven shutout innings. But that being said, for the Dodgers, Walker Buehler, his last the last time he recorded an out in the fifth inning of a game was a month ago because his blister he's got on his finger. He, he missed like two weeks. Um, they've been working on different things to try to get the blister solved, and, and he only went four innings in his last start. So if, if Clevenger's in about a four or five inning range, maybe, depending on his pain tolerance, and if Bueller's the same thing, that, that, that may well be a draw. Now, I think Kershaw is better than anybody else that uh, the Padres would have in a, in a game two scenario, especially based on the way Clayton pitched against the Brewers. But the interesting thing is the, the Padre bullpen might be in a little better place right now than the Dodger bullpen. They basically threw that bullpen game in game three, nine different pitchers threw a pitch for the Padres in a victorious game three over the Cardinals. That's the most pitchers ever in a nine inning playoff win for any team in the history of baseball. So the, the Padres have this bullpen game mentality in a good spot. That being said, you can't do it every game, especially in a five game series without off days. That's one of the biggest things here. Depth. It's all about depth. You've got to show, really showcase what you've got. And I think the Dodgers do have the deeper team, but the Padres, if Clevenger can pitch and if the, the, the questions about Bueller's blister are still there. And very interestingly guys, yesterday, uh, manager Dave Roberts talking about how he might actually use Kenley Jansen earlier than the ninth. His velocity was down against the Brewers. So a lot of intrigue there. I agree, Scott, uh, the, the, the Dodgers would be my pick as well, but there's a little bit of a crack in the facade there about this team. And, and I'll be really interested to see how things play out here in the next few days. Now the Yanks and the Rays, how much from the regular season is going to spill over into this series with the tempers flaring during that when Chapman threw over a hundred miles an hour at uh, who was that? Whose head did he almost hit? Bra uh, Brasso? Brasso. Yeah. Mike Brasso. Yeah. Yes. I, I, I think that we'll see some of it, Mike. I, I do. Uh, to me, it's, it's a, it's a really interesting matchup. I think that they don't like each other to begin with. And, and Kevin Cash's comments about the stable of guys that throw 98. I, I don't think that we're going to see guys thrown at each other necessarily uh, in, in this series. I, I think that, that 
chapter of it is is over uh, for me. But I think there's a lot of intensity. There's a lot of dislike there, which is what you want. You want you don't want these teams to like each other. You want there to be a subtext of of some some negativity. You've got that in the Oakland Houston matchup too, for obvious reasons, with, with Mike Fires pitching for the A's. So, I, and the the Laureano Alex Cintron situation from, from earlier in the year for that from that standpoint. So, I I think you've got two. Very competitive teams there with Tampa and, and the Yankees. You know, Kevin Cash is, I think, a really good manager. I think he may even be a great manager, the, the way that he, he really gets the most out of his guys. And so the, the Rays are, are, are not going to be afraid at all. I mean, this, they are not intimidated in the least. I think the way that Kevin Cash handled that situation underscored that. So I'm really impressed by the way the Rays have played. Their depth, I think they've got, what, 10 different guys that have recorded saves this year. I mean, just their, their depth is just extraordinary. And I've used that word a couple of different times in our conversation depth but it's so important when you've got a five game series with no off days followed by a seven game series with no off days you need everybody and you're going to have to be able to trust your 14th pitcher to get a big out and and that's why i think that the jays and who knows if this playoff format will exist beyond this year let's hope that the overall circumstances don't but i i think that the way that we're seeing things play out here guys just tells me it's not just about having one ace You've got to have really three or four of them. You've got to have a, a lineup that goes eight, nine deep. This is this is a test of, of who has the best 28-man roster, and you're going to see every last person on the stage uh, in these series here coming up. Do you think there's any chance, any chance, James Paxton gets back in this series? Because I I look past Garrett Cole and that's my worry from a Yankees fan's perspective is do we have enough starting pitching? And then even if Paxton comes back, I'm sure he'd be on a strict pitch count. So I'm not even sure the question matters. But that's my concern for the Yankees is beneath Cole, can the starting pitching hold up? The Tanaka's, the Haps. Right. No, it's a, it's a very fair question. You know, Hap had a pretty good September. Montgomery's had his moments, uh, some good moments too. Davey Garcia, of course, has had some flashes as well as a young pitcher. I, I think that there is so much risk with what they've seen from Paxton to put him on the roster and then and then burn that spot. Because then if if you put him on the roster and then if he gets injured, then he can't then he misses the next round as well. And you'd have to only look at him for the World Series if you're in that situation. So. I would be surprised if he came back, but but I share your concern. And I think the Rays' overall starting depth is is probably better by a little bit right now. Uh, although Cole, I think, has been tremendous. So it's it's a really close matchup. I I don't think that one team or the other has a real pronounced edge. I think this is a very closely competitive series, and, and I think it's going to be a lot of fun to watch it play out. I mean, the the Yankees beat a really quality. Cleveland team as well. I mean, they're, they're really, they're very well uh, battle tested at this point in time. And I think Aaron Boone's a great manager as well. Luke Voigt's been so key for them. I love the, I think the, the quote was played back. I saw it on Twitter last night that Voigt was asked about the, the Rays clinching the division. And he said, Hey, we'll see him again. Well, he's right. Uh, they, they, they uh, I, I guess uh, Luke Voigt pitched, uh, picked, uh, picked Tampa to beat Toronto. Unlike me. So I guess Luke had the, had the race one in that series, but uh, it's, it's interesting to see that they're now uh, meeting up again. And I think it's going to be a, a really fun series between two teams that really have their own unique style of play. Enjoy it, John. And we'll uh, catch up next Monday from wherever you are. 
Yeah, I think next Monday I'll be in quarantine. So, so it'll be uh, – there you go. The, the plan is eventually I'll move into the quarantine phase here of this uh, of this playoff thing. So I got a week of just being in the hotel room, not able to leave. So I'm going to do all my language study. If I'm not fluent in French and ready to take a, a French exam by the end of the week, then shame on me. We. Oui. <laughs> We'll have you. Oui. We'll have you in Quebec City when we get you that passport that you've been angling for. We'll get you up to Quebec City or Montreal ASAP. Bien sûr, bien sûr. À la prochaine. You're way better than me. That I know. We'll talk next week or something like that. I, I know prochain is next is week. So there we go. You are be, you are more Canadian than me, uh, John Paul Morosi of MLB Network and uh, Sirius XM Radio. We'll get Hugh into studio. Get you set for good show. And uh, well, we teed up a, a text to 590-590 that I've got to read for you. It's uh, how the Leafs can repair themselves. We'll get to that next. Elliot Friedman coming up later today on Writer's Block to tee up what will be a busy week in the NHL with the draft starting tomorrow night, round one on Sportsnet at 7 o'clock, and then free agency kicking in on Friday. Shane from Peterborough, the big text from earlier to 590-590. Freddie Anderson stays. They sign Matt Murray for three years at $4 million per and run a 1A, 1B. Then they trade Marner for picks and prospects, retain $3 million of his salary, and then sign Alex Petrangelo for seven years at $8 million per, in no small part thanks to the money left from Marner's contract. That's Shane in Peterborough. Yeah, that sounds so, great. <laughs> sure, why not? Bing, 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 bing. It's all organized. All organized. Uh, we thank Shane for the uh, the text. If that all happens, you're going to have to eat some crow. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm looking at footage right now of I-93 in Boston, and you're saying, well, why the hell are you doing that? Traffic is at a complete stop because the Patriots caravan is on the way to the airport. Two separate buses, two separate airplanes to go to Kansas City. Full police escort. On one plane. I, I see I see five buses right now. Five? Okay. Well, there's two different planes. One carrying people who've been directly exposed to Cam Newton over the last few days. Another one people who were more indirectly exposed to Cam Newton. And Ziggy, man, these athletes, they just they just live the dream. Eh? You never sit in traffic. I Okay, I can understand a same-day game where you have to get to the airport because they're going to be on a tight schedule. And I imagine even football with more people is a bigger operation to kind of organize than hockey. But... I've had this happen before in the playoffs with the Penguins where every time we would either arrive into a city, especially in the finals against Detroit, we wouldn't wait. So we'd fly into Detroit and you'd have a police escort from the airport to downtown. And let me tell you this. It's really nice. <laughs> like you what, don't wait. What like, bus, you don't wait. What bus were you on, Zig? Like were you on like bus number one or? Yeah, well, we don't. We uh, well, the hockey team. It's uh, it's one bus. Oh. right. It's one bus. Everyone gets on it. Sometimes in the playoffs, you have two with all the extra uh, personnel that goes. You have extra players, extra team staff. But I will say this: when we flew into Washington for the White House visit, 
we had it as well from Secret Service. And literally people were getting out of their cars to see what was the commotion because it was it was two buses with the, we got into the Secret Service buses and everything stopped going in to the White House. So that was kind of a neat experience. Yeah, well, I mean, you've the Secret Service. There you go. Protecting, protecting you. You are Secret Service worthy. Ziggy. We are yes. back at six o'clock tomorrow morning. Enjoy your Monday. It should be a nice one. Weather-wise, chat tomorrow. The Tofurky is the perfect size.